That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, and this is the Bama Online YouTube channel. Jimmy, uh, been a while. Yeah, I, we recorded maybe one of our longest ever videos. <laughs> it was what, like an hour and a half plus, I think, like an hour and thirty four minutes. Uh, and, and you know, there was some good stuff in there. It's it's the it's the lost podcast. It's the forgotten podcast. Uh, why? Because literally. We're, we're planning to post it that afternoon. The Nick Saban news broke that he was retiring. And, you know, I might go back and, and listen to it and see if I can find some stuff that's, I mean, a lot of it was relevant, but but just the frame in which it's discussed, yeah. it changes dramatically, uh, drastically, uh, if, you know, with the news of Nick Saban retiring. So, you know, that that's what makes it kind of difficult. Like how we had that entire discussion would, would be different with that knowledge. And it was unfortunate timing. Um, but I might try to go back and see if there's anything that's that's useful in there. But we're gonna discuss a little bit some of the that stuff. We're gonna touch on a lot that's been happening. It's been a while. We had recorded that and then it gets crazy. Uh, you know, Travis and Tim are doing a ton of stuff as far as the video. We're hopping on there with them, helping them out. Uh, you know, a lot of recruiting stuff going on. So that's kind of the goal today. And and we'll just go ahead and dive right in. We'll start, uh, you know, Nick Saban retires, uh, you know, 17 years, incredible run. No one's ever done anything like it. I don't know that anybody will ever do anything like it. And that includes Kirby Smart. I understand maybe he could end up getting close. Maybe he could be in that conversation, but it's, it's a tough it's a tough act to follow. Like, I mean, just the dominance is, is something, you know, pretty spectacular, but then you follow that up with hiring Kalen DeBoer, which is a very, um, I think it's a, a, an excellent hire. I think a lot of fans initially were not on board. I did have my initial concerns, like looking at it on the surface, as far as recruiting and, and being familiar, uh, familiar with the South, all that stuff. I mean, that was some of my initial thoughts as well, but Real quickly, I changed my mind and I started going in the other direction because I mean, I think he's just a phenomenal coach and I think he's got the right stuff to follow a guy like Nick Saban. So, what are your thoughts on what Alabama has done as far as, you know, the direction of the program now that they've hired Kalen DeBoer compared to where it was under Nick Saban? Well, I think Greg Byrne hired the best hireable coach possible. I mean, I really do. I mean, I, I think this is the best hireable coach now i mean you can say well kirby smart's the best coach in college football yeah but I, I don't think kirby smart is hireable uh by alabama or any other college football program i think steve sarkeesian is a great head football coach now i do now not everybody is as sold as i am but i'm i'm completely sold on, on sark and what he's doing at texas but i don't think he's hireable uh, there's some nfl names that are interesting that i don't think would be hireable guys so I, I think uh, in terms of who was hireable, I think Greg Byrne hit a home run. I, I think he hired the best guy out there that was hireable, and, and that's all you can ever ask of your athletic director. Now, in terms of the fit, I agree with you, Clint, that there, there could be some reservations about coaching in the South and recruiting in the South. I don't think that will be put to bed uh, until signing day of the 25 class, which is this upcoming December. I think then we'll know for sure. Uh, but the early returns, in terms of what we're able to gather so far, I, I'm pretty knocked out. I mean, obviously, the Ryan Williams 
uh, thing is both huge in terms of impact on the roster, but also impact perception-wise of Kalen DeBoer's ability to recruit. Uh, and, and that's an early good sign for Alabama fans. Uh, but but overall, uh, I, I think this is the best possible hire. Uh, and, and he's a winner. And, uh, and Tuscaloosa has been all about winning for a long time. He's inheriting a good roster. I think reports of Alabama's uh, death uh, due to uh, roster attrition were exaggerated. And uh, while there were some hits and there were some guys you're going to miss, uh, overall, Alabama's roster is in pretty good shape heading into 2024. The best roster, 1 through 85, Kalen DeBoer has probably ever coached. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for Alabama's future, and I'm excited to see what the product looks like uh, starting with this spring. And believe it or not, Glenn, I, I think we're just what amounts to seven weeks away from spring practice start. Yeah, it's coming up quick. I mean, we're already – I mean, the, this news and just, you know, covering it, the transfer portal had just closed. You think you get a little bit of a break, and then the, this news breaks – and then you're right back in it. You know, as far as transfer portal, who's going to leave? Um, I will say, I thought it could be worse. Uh, you know, when I would have this discussion with people about Nick Saban retiring, and and whenever that did end up happening, I would always say it's going to be rough with the transfer portal and the fact that guys can make emotional decisions and the fact that you open up a 30 day window. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if half the roster, no law, entered the transfer portal. I'm not saying they lose half the roster, but just, you know, I thought it would be worse. And there were several guys. There were some key guys. I mean, Caleb Downs, I will say it now until the end of time, one of the best safeties I've ever evaluated on the high school level. Uh, for fr a freshman at Alabama, one of the best fresh freshman safeties that I've ever evaluated. Uh, and I think that he's going to continue to be one of the best safeties in college football is going to end up being one of the best safeties in the NFL. That's a huge loss. I mean, that, that, that hurts if you're an Alabama fan, uh, you know, Julian saying being this, you know, number one quarterback prodigy, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, that's going to hurt, uh, you know, conflicting reports on what happened there and what led to that decision. Doesn't matter. He's gone. Fans thought a lot of him. And, you know, he's no longer in Tuscaloosa. So that hurts. I mean, Caden Proctor, I think he's going to be one of the better left tackles in college football. I think he's going to be an NFL player. It could end up having to move inside on the next level. That's that's uh, possible. But at the very least, uh, he's going to be a starting offensive lineman in the NFL and going to be a darn good one, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, losing him hurts. But just with where I thought things were heading, I don't think it's been nearly as bad. I think that the, the fact that they moved so swiftly to hire Kalen DeBoer, um, I thought that was big. I thought that, you know, just the way that he came in and he had a presence about him and there was all this pressure, you know, you got to keep Travaris Robinson. You got to keep these 2025 commits. You got to keep Ryan Williams. Uh, there's all this pressure immediately coming in and just he wasn't swayed by that. Like he did his own thing. He didn't automatically, you know, go and, and jump in and, and just start following everybody's lead. He had his own plan and vision for how this was going to go. And I will say it seems to have been executed pretty flawlessly. 
and it's seemingly been effective. And I don't think that we need to overlook that because following Nick Saban brings its own pressure. Uh, whether it be just, you know, the, the pressure from the administration pressure, you know, from the fan base pressure from the national media. I mean, you're going to be compared to the greatest of all time. That's just how it's going to work. But on top of that, there was just a lot of, you know, look at what Michigan's doing. I mean, they're, they're kind of trying to go the opposite route. I don't think they're looking to hire the best head coach possible. I really don't. I'm not saying that that you know uh, Sharon Moore is not going to do some good things in Michigan. I think that he very well could. I think the primary goal is not to see what has happened to Alabama happen in, in Ann Arbor. And Sharon Moore, that he's their best chance, in their opinion, of keeping the current team in place and not having the, this whole thing fall apart. You're losing guys early to the NFL. You're losing your head coach you start throwing in key transfer portal departures and it can start to look pretty rough and Alabama bounce back and Michigan's a darn good program, but I think they'd have a harder time bouncing back than Alabama did. So they're taking a different approach and I respect Alabama for that not being the primary goal. You know, they, Hey, we might lose some, we might lose a Caleb Downs or a Caden Proctor or whatever, but we're going to, we're going to get the best guys, not just the guys who give us the best chance to keep some guys in place. Uh, and so, you know, in the coordinator situation was different. Your offensive coordinator is 31, 32 years old, had been here for a year, mixed bag. Defensive coordinator just retired, so it's not like you can elevate a coordinator necessarily. So it's a little bit of a different circumstance. But I, I think that it was uh, the correct, uh, you know, way to go about it, which is going to get somebody outside and taking your lumps and putting yourself maybe not in the best position to be as successful as maybe you could have been in 2024 but 2025 and beyond i think you've set yourself up way better yeah uh it to me it's it's it, you know this is an oversimplification but what if I, I told alabama fans out there that were really down in the dumps about the guys that they lost <laughs> not saying that you shouldn't have been because those are some good players but what if i told you okay here's your choices a or b a you can keep julian sand you can keep caden proctor you can keep caleb downs you can even keep Isaiah Bond. You can keep all of those guys, but your head coach is Tommy Reese. Or, B, you lose those guys, but your head coach is Kalen DeBoer. I know which one I'm choosing because I'm choosing the, what's best for Alabama for the next five years, not, not what's best for Alabama this fall. Uh, and who's to say that would even be best for Alabama this fall? I, I, I think what you do is you start with the idea – that you're, you're going to hire the best coach possible. Let's look at just the history of Alabama football, Clint. The history of Alabama football says when you have a great coach, and Alabama's had more than two, but let's just say two, Bryant and Saban. <laughs> There's more than those two. But Bryant and Saban, you're talking about six national titles apiece. When Alabama has a great coach, they win national championships. When Alabama doesn't have a great coach, when Alabama's got less than a great coach. Sometimes there hasn't been championships. There's been 10 win seasons, but there hasn't necessarily been national championships. So the imperative is hire the best coach possible. And then from there, hire the best staff possible. Then you address the roster. Feels to me like Michigan went the other way around. Feels like Michigan addressed the roster. And uh, now that's just what it looks like from, well, from our vantage point. We're not Michigan experts, but... Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I will say it's 
losers focus on winners. Winners focus on winning, right? I mean, that's a pretty, you know, old saying. I think that Alabama was confident in what they are and what they'll be post Nick Saban more than Michigan is confident in what Michigan is. And part of that is Ohio State and the fact they're spending money hand over foot. I mean, it, it's it's incredible how much money they're spending. They're going all in on with Ryan Day. Um, I mean, this is like a GM coach in the NFL that's like, hey, if we don't make some win now moves, we're going to be out the door. And so we're this whole long-term building blocks and, and getting all that. We're not interested in that because we're not even going to be here if we get some long-term guys, we need some guys who can help us right now. Let's go get Caleb Downs. Let's go get Quinshawn Judkins. Let's go get some of these guys. Julian Sayan could end up being Ohio State starting quarterback. I mean, that, that has not been established. I understand Will Howard's there. Um, you know, we'll have to see how that ends up playing out. But my point is, is that I think that put pressure on Michigan. Georgia is in a position. I mean, they're they're ahead of Michigan. I mean, excuse me, they're ahead of Ohio State. They're already that program. So that threat and that fear could have been there for Alabama, but I think Alabama was more confident in their ability to stay the course and not worry about, I mean, it's not just Michigan. What they're freaking out about is we've captured all this momentum. We've beaten Ohio State several years in a row. We just won a national championship. We can't have Ohio State trying to counter that and us going in the wrong direction, not only from losing Jim Harbaugh, but losing some of our key players uh, you know, to other schools. And so I think they were really worried about that. And I think that was, I, I, speaking candidly, I mean, I'm not saying Sharon Morgan ended up being a phenomenal coach. Uh, you know, I, I think he did some good things with Jim Harbaugh being out. I think he had a lot of responsibilities and he handled it well. I just, uh, you know, I, I don't know that they were necessarily looking long-term as much as maybe they probably could have been. Yeah, it feels like the Alabama hire in 97, uh, Gene Stall, under Gene Stallings, things had gone really well. You didn't want to upset the apple cart because you were winning. You were winning 10 games a year. Felt like there was talent on the roster. Uh, and you didn't want to upset the apple cart. So you promoted from within and you promoted a guy that would not have been a candidate anywhere else, which is why I bring up Sharon Moore. I don't think Sharon Moore was a candidate to be a head coach for any of Michigan's rivals. I don't think Michigan State or Ohio State or Penn State looked at Sharon Moore as like, okay, that's the guy we need to hire for us. And that really needs to be the litmus test, right? Alabama hired a guy that had there been openings at LSU and Auburn and Tennessee and Georgia, Kalen DeBoer would have been on their list too. That would have been somebody they would have wanted to look at uh, as a potential hire. That's how you know Alabama got it right and Michigan did something a little more questionable. And it seems to me they did it in, in, in the name of roster retention because they've seen what happened at Alabama. You know, I just read on the – on the BOL roundtable, a couple of people commenting about this uh, or, or linking uh, other opinions about how Alabama's uh, uh, appears, their roster appears to, to, to be a shell of what it was because, quote, everyone left when Saban resigned. Uh, I hope the country feels that way. I hope, I hope that they think that's what Alabama is now, because I think, Clint, you and I know, and most everyone listening to this show, the hardcore Alabama fans that listen to our show, that's just not simply the case. Now, there are some holes. There, there, there is a, a need for a Band-Aid or two uh, caused by the portal defections. But overall, 
Nick Saban left this roster in really good shape at most positions. There are a lot of returning starters and guys who are coming back who've played a lot. And as far as what we're saying that Michigan made all their moves because of roster retention, that makes it sound like Alabama didn't care about 2024, doesn't have much of a chance in 2024. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Kalen DeBoer is going to find a highly competitive roster. And yeah, they'll probably need to address a couple of things in the spring portal. But overall, Clint, this looks to me like another Alabama team that has a chance that will put itself in a position to compete for a playoff spot uh, in the expanded playoff in 2024. It, it's a it's a different look. You know, there's so much that's changed. And with change, you know, it takes time. Uh, it, it's going to be different for everybody. It's great that everybody's bought in who's still around. I really and truly believe that everyone is bought in. That is big. But to expect the train just to keep on rolling, understand, as an Alabama fan, there are going to be some hiccups. Don't become part of the problem where you start snowballing things in the wrong direction, where you know you, you lose a game you're not supposed to. Maybe you lose to an unranked team. Maybe you go up to, to Madison and you lose to Wisconsin. And everybody, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. But let's say that it does. There's going to be a lot of talk. You know, Nick Saban, I mean, how many unranked teams did he lose to? Not many. You know, you're three games in, and and, and DeBoer's already got one. Uh, you know, you, you, some people will try to flip the script rather quickly. I'm hoping that the expectations from Alabama fans has been recalibrated. And it really kind of feels like it, do, it has been. I mean, when you look at just... The way that people got interested, I mean, NIL, uh, you know, collective uh, donations, that stuff skyrocketed. I do think build positive momentum. The one thing you can control as a fan is you show up to A-Day, show up and show out and, and show support. I mean, if you fill that stadium like you did with Nick Saban, after even Nick Saban kind of begging people to come, uh, I mean, and you still saw good crowds. I don't. It never got scarce, except for I think one year where it was raining, and 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 that actually was it last year or the year before, I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a great. It wasn't great conditions, uh, and that's understandable. But with this being Kalen DeBoer's first year, I think you know this shouldn't be. A, don't leave it up to everybody else. Don't say, "Well, I'm sure other Alabama fans will go. I'm gonna stay at home and watch. I got this to do. I got that to do." No. Get over to Tuscaloosa, fill the stands, support, and when things go wrong, understand it's a process and it's going to take a little bit of time. And if if this is year two, and I'm not saying they're going to go seven and five, I'm not saying they're going to go eight. I think floor floor is eight and four. I think ceiling is still eleven and one. I think my sweet spot, if I were to predict right now, which is still so early, so it's tough to do this, but I would say ten and two. That's kind of where I think. You know, uh, it would be a very realist possibility. I wouldn't be shocked at all with nine and three. I'd be a little bit surprised with eight and four, but I can see it. Um, I could see 12 and zero. I mean, but that's going to be extremely difficult. I would expect at least one loss, maybe two. But when that when those losses happen, don't freak out, Nick. I mean, it, who know, it could be a beat down or something. And it's like Nick Saban's teams never got beat down. And he's already year one. He's getting destroyed by people. It's like, don't pile on as he's trying to make this transition. And it is going to be different, Jimmy. And that's something else that I want to discuss real quick before we move on is I thought Alabama was heading in the right direction 
when they pivoted away from the more finesse approach, got smaller offensively, got smaller defensively, uh, you know, keeping up with the times of college football. Then you figure out, okay, George wins back-to-back national championships. Michigan just won one uh, as a kind of a power profile team that's going to play complementary football on offense and defense. I liked that Alabama was going back in that direction because teams don't line up on Saturdays and see that kind of physicality too often in a, in a season. Uh, and so if you can build a team that can hit somebody in the mouth, that's good. Uh, I'm not saying that Kalen DeBoer's teams can't be physical. They certainly can be. I mean, some of their Washington teams have been pretty physical uh, at, at certain positions. But it's just, you know, they got bigger. They got stronger. They wanted to push people around. There was some transition there. I think them being very limited as far as the passing game, that hurt some things, the way defenses were playing them as far as run blitzes and all that stuff. But, it, you know, so I'm not – I love the hire. And I think that it, what what I like about where they're at right now compared to where they were two years ago is they're in this lane of being more finesse, but the guy who's leading the charge is comfortable in that lane. Nick Saban was not. The entire time that, that you saw them not playing complimentary football and you saw you know it being more offense dominated and the defense you know was was having to they were getting only a couple of plays off before they were back on the field. Like Nick Saban was never comfortable in that environment. Give him credit because he adjusted the best that he could, but he wanted to get back to his way. And I think his way, you know, zigging when everyone else is zagging, I think that would have been effective. But Kalen DeBoer, I'm not saying that Alabama's defense is going to be terrible. I actually think they're going to play some complimentary football and you're going to get both. You're going to get quality play on both sides. But I do think that just in the the way that Alabama is going to attack teams offensively and the way that the team and the roster is going to be constructed, it fits today's college football. And I think the guy leading the charge is more comfortable doing that than Nick Saban was. Yeah, it's almost like there was a very famous moment in the Saban era. Uh, and I think it was in response to a question about another game that happened. But Nick Saban uh, famously asked the rhetorical question, is this what we want football to be? Uh, and I think that was a, a key moment in the, in the whole Saban era. And as we look back on it in light of this conversation, Clint, you almost wonder when Nick Saban said, is this what we want football to be? If he wasn't talking to himself, because <laughs> if he wasn't asking himself that, because like you said, it's not what Nick Saban wanted Alabama to be, but Nick Saban was an adapt or die guy. And he's like, is this what we want football to be? Is this what, is this what I want Alabama football to be? The answer is no, but I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to spread it out. i got to play up tempo. It, it's what stresses defenses the most. It's what everyone else is doing. It's how the only way I can recruit the players and the quarterbacks I need uh, to win. And, uh, and Saban reluctantly did it. I think DeBoer and Grubb, who, who, who for right now are an inseparable team, uh, DeBoer and Grubb uh, embraced embrace it. They do it with a smile on their face. This is what they do want football to be. And uh, there will be a comfort level with it. Now, I do think speaking for myself and probably for a few people listening, I mean, my question uh, for this offense, because I want to see it. I saw Washington play. I, I, not not every week by any means. I saw him play, I don't know, three times, maybe four times. Uh, I saw him play, but I didn't examine them play. My question will be the physicality because I, I, I want or I wish 
that DeBoer and Grubb have a system in which they can feature the quarterback and the spread, play a little up-tempo, throw it around. Penix led the whole nation in, in passing last season. That's great, by the way. That's great. I'm not, not saying that's a negative. But I still would like to see a physical offense. Not because I think you have to be real physical on offense to be successful. No, 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 no. You can be a, a pillow fight offense and score a lot of points every week. But what I, I'm concerned about is complementary football. I don't think if your offense is physical, you give your defense a chance to be tough. Uh, and I think this past year showed with Alabama made more of a commitment in 2023 to physicality on offense, and it paid off with a better defense, particularly when it came to crunch time, particularly when it came to tackling and being a physical football team. Uh, I credit entirely Alabama's metamorphosis on offense to a more physical offense in terms of making the defense better. That's what's going to be my number one question. And it's not a question in terms of, gosh, I'm not sure it's the right hire. It's not that at all. Uh, I question it in terms of what I would like to see. What I would like to see is a physicality on offense that helps prepare your defense for the knife fight in a ditch that SEC football is week to week. So that's what I want to see. I'm encouraged by some things I know, like, for instance, Dylan Johnson at Washington, the running back. He ran for more yards last year than Jason McClellan and Roy Dell Williams did combined. So uh, I do think that we will see a level of physicality out of this offense that will lend itself and help Kane Womack's defense toughen up. Yeah, and and what I like about DeBoer and, and Grubb's offense is it's it's efficient. Like you don't have to get multiple running backs 180, 190 carries a piece because they're gonna get numbers based off of an efficiency approach. You know, if you're averaging six yards a carry, five point eight yards per carry, you don't have to have as nearly as many carries to run for a thousand yards. That's that's basic math. And it, you know, with this past season at Washington, they rode Dylan Johnson. Uh, he had like 250 plus carries, if I'm not mistaken. The next highest guy had like 33 or something. I mean, it was such a huge discrepancy between first and second. Uh, I, I that that's in the past they've used you know two, they've used up to three at times. Whether it be at Indiana, whether it be at Fresno, you know Washington, it was just this this past season Dylan Johnson I think was far and away their best option and he could handle a larger workload and so it's like I mean we're not what we do as far as our passing game we can have him out there you know on a a huge chunk of of snaps and get him a a sizable workload while still having an efficient passing game and still having a high volume passing game but you're going to see you know quarterback play Limited turnovers. You don't see too many. I think they do good job of of scheming some things up um, and coaching the quarterbacks up to avoid turnovers. Now, granted, Michael Penix Jr. I think ended up finishing with eleven interceptions, which is by far the most that I had seen uh, from a DeBoer quarterback going back and looking. But you know, overall, I would say he did a, a good, maybe not as much down the stretch, but he did a good job of protecting the football. Uh, everywhere he's been, the quarterbacks have protected the football. The yards per attempt, everybody's sitting up there at eight plus. I mean, that's, that's really good. I mean, 
And I think at Alabama, uh, you know, you're going to see the eight plus, uh, you know, maybe in the nines. I don't know that you're necessarily going to see in the, the 10 range. It's possible, but I think that the way that the offense is set up, like they want, DeBoer's going to want to push the ball vertically. He's going to want to push the ball downfield, but they're also going to use the underneath concepts to set those things up downfield. Like you don't see as much play action from this offense as maybe you would in other offenses. And other offenses will use that play action to create opportunities downfield. Washington uses underneath passing concepts to set those things up downfield. So it's a little bit of a different approach. You'll still see some play action, uh, but they want to run the football. I think it's going to be more Georgia 2023, uh, not from uh, the uh, the way they operate necessarily, but Georgia went from being a, a team that wanted to run the football to set up the pass to throw in the football to set up the run. Washington's going to be that same way. And they're going to do it. I mean, their their ability to utilize the tight ends, uh, utilize receivers in different ways, create lanes and opportunities both horizontally and vertically. It's a very uh, interesting offense, and it's not overly complicated. I just think that they. I mean, it just seems like these guys, this staff, gets it, and they understand the game of football. Um, but you know, I, I think that the way that they're going to operate is going to create success, but with the fact that you've got, I think you've got a lot of guys who can create yardage after the catch at receiver. I think you've got a stable of running backs. I don't think they're going to go with a workhorse. I think bare minimum you're looking at two. It's possible you could see three, but I think at the very least it's going to be Justice Haynes and Jam Miller. Uh, I don't, I don't, it's not going to be Dylan Johnson uh, where it's 250 and then it's 33, uh, not even close. And so if you don't expect that. Uh, but I think they're going to be able to run the football effectively. There could be some growing pains just because the offensive line had gotten so much bigger and it was built a certain way. That while they got a lot of talent, it, with them going in the opposite direction, you know, Jaden Roberts might not have as good of a season. You know, if he's act, asked to be a primary pass protector in that style of offense, which I thought he held up very well in pass protection this past year. But it was in an offense that was set up where teams were expecting run. Now they're expecting pass. That puts more pressure on you as a pass protector. So you might not, you know, he, he might give up some sacks or something. Tyler Booker, I don't necessarily think that's been a, a huge strength of his. Uh, you know, Caden Proctor leaving actually opens up some opportunities on that front because while I think he would have been a very good tackle for Alabama, I think there's some limitations based off the style of offense they're going to be playing. So. Well, you know, we'll see, but that's something to to keep an eye on as well. But I really like where this offense is heading, and I think it, it can create some opportunities for some complimentary football because they've got access to things in Tuscaloosa that they, they simply didn't have at Fresno or at Washington or really anywhere else they've been. Yeah, and that that is exactly the the point I wanted to hit on. Exactly that uh, is that Alabama to some extent is going to be a toy box for Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer. It'll be a toy box. They 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 kind of had what they had at Washington. And, and keep in mind, they were only there two years. So to some extent, they just inherited. Now, they didn't inherit Michael Penix. They got Michael Penix to follow them, and, and they ended up with a very experienced quarterback in, in the same system, which was very helpful. But Alabama, in so many ways, is going to be a toy box for them. Uh, when, when people say, gosh, Milrow may not be a good fit for them because at Washington – 
uh, Grubb and DeBoer, they, they don't run the quarterback. Well, they don't. But guess what? They've never had a Jalen Milrow. They've never had a quarterback who was one of the fastest skill position players in college football. They've never had that. Uh, so it will be interesting to watch the DeBoer and Grubb offense morph to adjust to what they have. And yeah, there'll be some QB runs, maybe more than you think, if Milrow uh, uh, maintains his position as the starting quarterback, which he certainly will uh, early on. Uh, I think that they're going to do things that you didn't see that like Clint pointed out with running back usage. Yeah. Dylan Johnson got a ton of carries, but they just didn't have a second Dylan Johnson. Well, Alabama's got multiple big time backs. They've got more than one Dylan Johnson in Tuscaloosa right now in Jan Miller and justice Haynes. And probably even though we've seen less of him, I would say Richard young is probably going to be ready to play this fall too. Uh, I think so. You will see, a different offense than what you saw at Washington a year ago, where they highlighted the strengths, which is Michael Penix, uh, you know, his passing. I mean, this is a, a quarterback with first round ability, uh, maybe the deepest and best wide receiver core in college football and an offensive line that they really trusted to pass protect. Uh, and, and then you had a back uh, who was perfect uh, when you used the pass to set up the run. That's what they had. And, and I think they, they did a fantastic, fantastic or phenomenal job of riding that all the way to the national championship game. But at Alabama, the toy box will look different. And I think the offense will look different because the truly best offense is the guy that I think uh, he's not my favorite coach, but the guy who did a great job at Alabama of adjusting the personnel was Lane Kiffin. Kiffin did in his three seasons at Alabama. I think Kiffin did a great job of identifying the offense's best player and then riding it riding him like it's a horse in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, I think in 2014, he's like, my best player is Amari Cooper. Uh, my, my, my offense is going to be about my quarterback getting the ball to Amari Cooper. And in 2015, his best player is Derrick Henry. And Derrick won a Heisman because of it. And in 2016, he turned it over to a freshman quarterback, Jalen Hurts, and literally built an offense specifically tailored for what Jalen could do and what he couldn't do as a true freshman. Lane really, uh, in one offense, morphed it three consecutive seasons to fit what he had. That's what the greats do. And I think that's what Grubb and DeBoer will do. They will fit what they do into what they find at Alabama. And what they find is a quarterback that runs a 4-4-40 and throws a great deep ball. Uh, they'll find a depth at running back they never had at Washington. They'll find returning starting tight ends who are quality blockers in C.J. Dupree and Robbie Oost. And I think, I think, because I'm projecting, I'm guessing, Clint, I think we're going to see them have more of a commitment to running the ball just because that's what they're going to find when they when they get here. Now, they're going to recruit different pieces. And in 2026, it might not look like it will look in 2024. But the best offensive coaches adapt to their personnel. And they're going to find talented personnel it just won't look exactly like what they had at washington yeah and i mean lane kiffin you're in the sec period like you have to do that and i think lane kiffin understands that now like in, with under matt corral and stuff they were slinging i mean they were leading the country in pass attempts you know or you know up there with western kentucky and those cats as far as just slinging the football around they had tons of receivers uh and and the, the the run game was so secondary 
to that. Now, quarterback run, uh, scrambles and stuff from Matt Corral compensated a little bit, but they essentially used the short, quick passing game as an extension of their run game. Uh, that was kind of how they were set up initially under Kiffin. But Kiffin understood, I'm in the SEC. And he had actually some success doing it that way. But I think right now the Ole Miss program is where it is at because he became more focused on playing complementary football on offense between the pass and the run. You know, yeah, Quinshawn Judkins having a lot of success. They've had running backs there uh, that had success. They tried to get Jason McClellan. I uh, think you would have been very successful there. But, um, you know, it's, it, I think DeBoer is going to take the same approach. Now, I don't think, I don't even think he's going to need the adjustment period like Kiffin did. Now, Kiffin had been the SEC, so he understood it. But I think he thought with where the game was heading, it was different than when he was there in 2014 and 15 and 16. Uh, really, 16 is when, you know, after 16 is really when it started to change. But, um, you know, that's something to keep in mind is that DeBoer, there might be an adjustment period on that front, but I think going in, he understands that you need to be able, in this league, you need to be able to run the football. And you can't just, I mean, drop back Tennessee under Hypel, sure. You know, in 2022, they had Hinton Hooker, they had receivers all over the place, they were slinging the football around, utilizing spacing and all that stuff, but they still ran the football effectively. Now, they used the passing game and the spacing and all that stuff to create opportunities in the run game, and that's something that I think DeBoer could do, is it might not be this whole, we're going to line up and just you know be physical, hammer the football at you, we're going to make a commitment to that, but I think there will be a commitment to doing things, scheming things up in a way where it presents opportunities for your run game, which allows it to have success. Um, and, you know, one thing I'll say about him, I mean, uh, Marcus McMarion at Fresno State, when he was the offense coordinator, that was his quarterback. Substantial growth really crossed the board from his first year uh, under DeBoer compared to his second year. Um, I mean, it, it's night and day. I mean, you look at Peyton Ramsey in Indiana, pre-DeBoer, he wasn't that great. DeBoer gets there. He becomes a lot better. You look at Jake Hayner. Uh, you know, he was really good in his first year under DeBoer. His second year, much better. The numbers all improved. The yards per attempt, the touchdown passes, the turnovers got cut down. Uh, the completion percentage goes up. Uh, you know, and then Michael Pinks Jr. He had a great first season under DeBoer at, at Washington, but was even better this past year. So quarterback development. And, and and putting it in this offense is big. And that's where I think Jalen Milrow can be the guy for Alabama. I think he has shown that he's got the right stuff as far as, you know, team leadership and having that rushing ability, that dynamic, you know, being that dynamic run threat. When If you can get the passing improvement that DeBoer's gotten from all of his other quarterbacks. Now, some of those guys might have started – much further along than Milrow, but if Milrow improves substantially on that front, like all these other quarterbacks have, and you throw in something that none of these other quarterbacks had, which is his legs, I mean, this could be an absolute monster. I don't think he's the perfect fit right now. With what I saw in 2023, I worry about the fit, but I think I believe in DeBoer and Grubb and their ability to pull the best out of him and help him become that player. 
Uh, I mean, uh, and, and when you look, one thing I'll say, at least Milrow is used to playing in an offense where uh, Alabama really didn't use play action a ton last year, which was kind of surprising, to be honest with you, because they were built in, in a way where it was like primarily run, like or they wanted to be primarily like a run dominant team that, that they used the passing game off of that, but they didn't use play action a ton. So a lot of Jalen Milrow's plays were, were straight drop back passes, and that's going to be this offense. The problem is I don't think he performed that great being a straight drop back passer. That's where I have concern about the fit. But if he can make improvement, I think he could end up being a heck of a player in this offense. But at the same time, I love Ty Simpson. I think he can thrive in this offense. I think that uh, you know Dylan Lonergan can thrive in this offense. And obviously Austin Mack, the coaching staff, I mean, this is a special talent from an arm talent, size, just uh, understanding the game of football, there's still some some growth that needs to be made, but he's been learning under the best, and I think that just the raw tools, guys like this aren't, aren't sitting around everywhere, and I think that DeBoer and those guys knew that. So I think that uh, they're going to get quality play out of the quarterback position, and I think it could come from one of four guys. I really do, but obviously Jalen Miro should be the one, you know, we should assume he's going to be the starter going in. Yeah, I have a tremendous amount of faith in this QB room, but it's the QB room. I have a tremendous amount of faith in, in Milrow, actually. I mean, I, I think we've seen Jalen Milrow improve by leaps and bounds over the course of just a handful of games. Uh, I anticipate him continuing uh, to improve. Uh, I, I agree that initially it might be a step back because he's got to relearn an offense and, and do new things and maybe even play outside his comfort level. Uh, in in the pocket, maybe doing what what uh, what he doesn't do best initially, but then based on what we've seen from Jalen Milrow so far, what I suspect is going to happen is he's going to start at a certain place and then take baby steps and then then improve by leaps and bounds. That that's the Jalen Milrow we've seen so far, and that's the Jalen Milrow I think we're going to see in this new offense. Now, a big difference in 2024 from 2023 is this: last year when Milrow faltered. Uh, and didn't play as well as the staff would have liked to have seen him play against Texas, and they wanted to look at some other guys, the other guys just weren't ready to play. Tyler Buckner was just not not a, a good enough player, uh, frankly, for what Alabama needed. And Ty Simpson had a ton of talent, but in game three of his redshirt freshman year was just not ready, just like Jalen Milrow wasn't ready as a redshirt freshman either. Uh, Ty Simpson uh, just wasn't ready by game three. Looked like later in the year, Ty may have been ready by the end of last season. But the beginning of last season, he wasn't. This time around, Clint, if Milrow falters, doesn't play as well as DeBoer and Grubb would like him to play, and they decide to look at someone else, Milrow may not get back on the field like he did a year ago because the QB room is so good. It's so deep with Ty Simpson, who now appears ready. Uh, Dylan Lonergan, who will now have uh, a second year, you know, on campus. And of course he's learning a new offense, but Lonergan picked up on things really quickly a year ago. And Austin Mack uh, is the quarterback showing up with experience running this same system. So, uh, you know, the, the warning to Milrow would be, Hey, this year when you falter and you're, 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 you're sat, you might not get the opportunity to, to come back to the field. So that's going to put more pressure on the kid. Uh, and, and it's a lot to live up to, but hey, he, he's improved dramatically in his time at Alabama. 
now moving into a year four. Uh, the maturity's there. The experience is there. Uh, it's just a matter of learning this new offense and uh, knowing that to some extent DeBoer and Grubb are going to come to him. And by that, I mean, I think Milrow will be, he'll be so set at, at QB1 that I think they'll change some things to fit Jalen. It won't just be, hey, this is the offense. Let's see which one of you fits it. I think it'll be more like, okay, Milrow's going to be our guy, at least initially. Milrow's our guy. We're going to make this kind of fit him. Because, again, Milrow has unique tools. Not every There's a lot of athletic quarterbacks, but not that athletic. There's a lot of quarterbacks that throw a pretty nice deep ball. I think the combination of Milrow's speed and his ability to throw the deep ball on time and accurately, those two things together make him sort of a rare bird. And again, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a toy you find in the box that I think Grubb and DeBoer could have a lot of fun with. But I, I do expect Milrow to be one, QB1. I expect them to sort of build it around him initially. But if he falters, if he doesn't, if he, if he doesn't play as well as they would like, and they look at someone else this year, I don't know that Jalen would get back on the field because that QB room is deep with uh, with some fun options. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, uh, the entire quarterback room is impressive. And what's wild is that you lose the number one quarterback recruit in the country in Julian Sayan, and it's still viewed that way. And it might not be perceived that way to the outside world right now, to the rest of college football. But anybody that's been paying attention and they've heard the buzz with Dylan Lonergan, they've seen the improvement. And I understand it's limited, but you know, seeing him come in against Kentucky, it was his shortcomings. You could tell he had improved on him. He understood he was processing information. He was seeing what the defense was giving him. He was processing that both pre and post snap, and he understood where to go with the football as a result. And that's where, you know, the, the, the internal clock against USF, I thought he actually didn't play that terrible other than he was not processing the information. It was still the, the, the speed of the game was still too quick for him. And so, you know, as you, you see that he, the game has slowed down some and he's under, he's able to do some of that stuff more. You saw the improvement. That's why I say, even though it's limited sample size, uh, Grant, I'm not saying that defenses can't throw some things at him from a pressure perspective and kind of throw him off his game and, and make him process more, and maybe he's not ready to do that necessarily. I, I mean, but I, I will say he was a 10 times better player against Kentucky and UT Chattanooga than he was against USF, period. Um, and, you know, you got, so you got to like what you've seen out of him. And, you know, with Austin Mack, the raw tools are as good as anybody in the country. Uh, and, and no one's asking the question, or not enough people are asking the question, if it is true that DeBoer had his guy, and by having that guy, Julian saying, not was pushed out the door necessarily. I don't think that that really happened. Maybe I'm wrong, but if there was just a preference as far as what he wanted long-term, he spent a year with Austin Mack. He has the number one quarterback, a top five player in the 2024 recruiting cycle on his campus, ready to compete and ready to go. And he went and got Austin Mack anyways. Maybe it was a, hey, I bring him in. 
maybe we talk Julian Sane into staying, and it's a competition. I, but he had to know that was a risky move, and he did it anyways. And no one's ask or question like not questioning. No one's asking themselves. He must know something. That is a very, I mean, it made the entire fan base mad when, when reports started surfacing that maybe he got pushed out the door. Julian Sand got pushed out the door, and yet he still he did it. And and like I, I just there's a reason for that. Is what I'm trying to get at. Let's talk about the defense. Kane Kane Womick, uh, Womick. You know, if somebody said it was Woe and then Mick, and I was like, oh, I can remember that Womick. And then they're like Womick, Womick. Yeah, so Womick. I, it is Womick. Yeah, I've learned. I was like, well, thanks for screwing me up because now every time I think about it, like I, I, I want to say Womack, and then I'll stop myself and I'll go Womick, and then I'll say Womick. I'm like, there's another step to this now. It's Womick. Uh, so I'm going to do that for a little while. I apologize. And everybody knows I'm pretty terrible with not, uh, names. Nye Black, the Black. Um, been screwing that up for two years now, but I guess it doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, you know, I don't think fans are going to get upset at me for mispronouncing his name uh, at this point. But Womack, <laughs> there there I go again. Uh, 4-2-5 Swarm defense. Very interesting. Very different. In some ways, it's very different. In other ways, it's not so different than what Nick Saban ran because you moved into more of a primary nickel style of defense. Uh, you know, Alabama this past year going back to being more heavy nickel based. That's very similar to this in some ways. Now you've got principles that are based off of a three, four defense under Nick Saban. And even though you're in a four two five alignment, it's different than this swarm defense. So keep that in mind. Uh, but, you know, uh, from a personnel standpoint, really just what Alabama is going to be doing. Uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on the change? I mean, you, everybody's been used to, to seeing Star and Jack for close to two decades now. And those terms, I mean, it, they're, they're seem to be gone forever. So, you know, how have you adjusted to that? And what do you think about, you know, this, the decision to bring him in. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, the, the players will be making a tremendous adjustment, but uh, the adjustment extends to the media like uh, like you and I. You know, we got, we got to learn this defense too because uh, we, we would like to know uh, everything and know how everything works. And, and yeah, we, we're used to doing it one way for 17 years. Uh, now it's going to be in so many ways dramatically different. But like like Clint said, it, it's not a wholesale change. It, but there, there's some dramatic difference, differences, but also a lot of similarities. And we'll, we'll cover it all here over the course of the spring and the summer. But uh, in terms of liking the hire, I love the hire. You know, and since I, I, I'm, I'm really been from Mobile, uh, you know, my whole life, I, I know South Alabama's program really well. Uh, so I was very familiar with Kane Womack, uh, you know, I, I was saying Womack before it was cool to say Womack uh, because I've, <laughs> I've known, I know that 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 program uh, really well. Uh, Kane is uh, the best way to describe him in, in my mind is he, he's sort of a defensive guru, very professorial in terms of he knows this stuff extremely well. He he's brilliant when it comes to the grease board, the whiteboard, the the putting on the coaching clinic, the explaining. Uh, the intricacies of his four-two-five swarm. So he's sort of a professorial type type guy. But most guys that are like that aren't very personable. Kane is. Kane is. He he, he gets along with 
his staff, his players, and the fans and the media. He handles all that extremely well. So he's a real interesting combination of being sort of a defensive guru, uh, but at the same time, a, a people's coach. Uh, the people will like him. I hope he gets a lot of media opportunities so the fans at Alabama get to know him because they're going to like him. Uh, but in terms of his his four two five, um, here's what stands out to me. Uh, on the one hand, well, this isn't a big change because Saban's defense, even though it was a three four, Saban just sort of stayed a nickel almost all the time. I mean, Al- Alabama was ha- had nickel personnel on the field, uh, virtual. I think seventy five percent of all snaps, and that's probably good for the whole era, not just this past year. I'm talking about just seventy five percent of all snaps. Uh, Nick Nick Saban's defense was in nickel. So in that sense, we're not changing a whole lot. But really, we are changing a whole lot. Uh, I think the makeup of who that nickel is is going to change a bunch. Look, under Saban, they were in nickel because they were trying to match up with all these spread teams. And the star was often, not always, not always by any means, but was often a cornerback. Terry Arnold played quite a bit of star last season. Uh, it was primarily Malachi. Uh, who's a safety by, uh, you know, by by nature. Uh, But there was often a corner that played star, one of the best stars of the whole Saban era. I think it's going all the way back to the beginning, Javier Arenas, you know, who was a corner, but he played star and was fantastic in that role. Um, I think the the star will now be known as Husky, I believe, in uh, Womack's defense. And I, I think it's going to be a bigger, more physical guy. I don't think it's a linebacker. I think people have been off when they say it's going to be a 220-pound linebacker who can cover. Just I think it's going to just be more of a, more of a typical safety myself. I, I think it'll be a typical safety. I'll tell you a good example of who I think the Husky position was made for in Alabama terms. Probably Mark Barron or uh, Landon Collins, I think, would have been just ideal Husky-type players. It's not uh, – Rolando or Dante Hightower or even C.J. Mosley. Uh, I don't think. I don't think. I, I'm 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 anxious to see it with Alabama's personnel because Kane Womack is finding a toy box too. By the way, Kane's been running South Alabama's defense or or had a hand in running South Alabama's defense. The toy box at Alabama radically different. So he's going to change too because now he's got premium Greyhound athletes to do whatever the heck he wants to do which is at South, he sort of had to do what, what what the hand he was dealt, right? It's like a poker hand, and you're just sort of dealt this hand, and you got to make do. At Alabama, it's whatever you want it to be. So that'll be interesting. But but my point is, I do think the star position, which will now be known as Husky, is going to be filled by a more physical, in-the-box safety type. Uh, and, and to me, uh, you, you sort of have that in Malachi Moore, who, who played the star position for Alabama last year maybe a little undersized based on what Womack would, would ideally like to have there. But I think his experience, his toughness, his physicality, uh, I, I think we'll see Malachi in that role, uh, which is basically a similar position to what he played a year ago with Nick. So in that way, uh, I think I used the Malachi thing, Clint, as a description of, hey, this is a wholesale change. We're going from star to Husky, and we're going to a bigger, more physical guy playing that nickel that nickel role but we're probably going to use the same guy so that's what i mean by yeah there's a big difference position change for sure probably the same guy we used last year so it's a good example of big change 
eh, but we're not rebuilding the car. It's really more of a tune-up than a than a rebuild. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think probably the safest assumption is that it's going to be Malachi Moore. Uh, but I'll, I do feel like this position was created for Tony Mitchell. Just what I saw like from him coming out of high school, kind of being a guy, it's like at one point you're like, does he play corner? Does he play safety? And then he keeps getting bigger. And then, you know, he shows up to some of these all-star circuits and people now people are saying, I mean, does he play safety? Does he play linebacker? Uh, that to me, and it's a matter of, is Tony Mitchell one of those top three guys? I mean, I kind of view it as like a three safety system. Uh, and for the most part, it kind of has been, you know, sometimes it's a three corner system, but you know, a lot of times it's three safety, uh, you know, and, and if, if, if Mitchell is one of those guys, I could see the importance of Malachi Moore being up closer to the line of scrimmage, I think was a lot more critical in 2023 because Deontay Lawson was still, you know, adjusting to the mic role, even though I think he handled it beautifully. He was also out of the lineup for multiple games. Trez Marshall had that experience, but he was a platoon player. He went on the field a ton. The guy who you could rely on to be on the field for most snaps who had that communicative ability was Malachi Moore. With you having Jahad Campbell, who should be more comfortable handling some of those responsibilities coming back, you got Deontay Lawson, who should be very comfortable in that field general role. I don't think Malachi Moore playing up in the box is as much of a necessity from a communicative standpoint. Still could be very important for what, you know, these guys want to do defensively or whatever. But, uh, you know, I could see him playing safety, kind of playing rover in this defense and Tony Mitchell playing that Husky position. But I completely agree. I think it, it could go either way. You know, Mitchell could end up being your rover and Malachi could be your your Husky. So I don't think that's that's crazy. Those would probably be my two most uh, my two strongest guesses. Um, you could have you know someone you know a Peyton Woodyard who might prove to be ready, uh, and they might want him in that type of role. Even though I think he's you know I, if he was going to start, I'd probably put him at safety. Um, but uh, that would you know be another one we'll have to see. Uh, Justin Jefferson maybe, but I agree with you. I, I don't. I, people are, th- are viewing that role a little bit differently than what I think that it actually is. But I could be wrong. Um, you know, but it's not just the wolf. It's you know you got the or excuse me, it's not just the husky. You've got the wolf as well, which is kind of a strong side linebacker Dallas Turner style of player but has some weak side defensive end Jack traits as well but because of the way that they ran it you know Womack ran it at South Alabama you needed to be really comfortable playing off the ball and you needed to be really comfortable dropping into coverage like I think Dallas Turner last year averaged about six to seven coverage snaps per game where he dropped back into coverage their wolf position doubled that so it's 13 or 14 so you need to be expecting um you know the more and 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 it's not just that it's i want to say about a third of the snaps if i'm not mistaken the wolf position is lined up off the ball that is significantly higher than Dallas. Like every once in a while, you see Dallas Turner or or Chris Braswell lined up in the apex, but which is the the space between the tackle and your inside receiver. You know, you split the two. You would see them lined up out there some, but it was not a ton. 
this is so this position it, it's your best pass rusher when it's your true base defense out there but it also needs to be a versatile piece that can do some different things like when i i think of this position you know quandarius robinson to an extent because there was some questions as to whether he would play off ball or outside early in his career so him to an extent quay russo uh, that's a guy who I really feel like could end up, you know, he, he seems like a really good fit. A guy like Jeremiah Alexander, who's got that edge, uh, you know, background and history, but he's been making the transition to off-ball linebacker he started to last year, kind of lacks that length of a true edge guy. But if you wanted to still get that element out of him where he can line up and get after the, the passer, help set the edge against the run, but then also you protect him from a length standpoint, keeping him, you know, about a third of his snaps off the ball. I could see him being, you know, that guy. I could see Jahad Campbell, even though I think he's going to be playing the stinger position or the weak side linebacker position in this defense. The fact that he's got that edge background, the fact that, you know, he can, uh, he's very, obviously very comfortable playing off uh, the ball. So I think he could end up playing that role if they wanted him to play Wolf. Uh, you know, I think he's a little bit thin uh, to be playing you know on the edge you know two-thirds of the snaps but uh that's another guy to at least throw out there um you know but then you got the traditional guys you know the 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 yonze pierres the keon keely's the you know coats of the world and you know i've seen people the fact that you have this heavy look as the base defense where the bandits essentially a defensive lineman kind of like Justin Aboyby or Jamarian Latham or LT Overton or, you know, Jordan Renald, where they play out there further, you know, on the edge, four I, five, you know, sometimes even a little bit further out. Uh, they worry about Alabama having a lot of edge players on this roster and being able to get them on the field. But it's just like Alabama's official depth chart was listed as a three four, but how often were they in the three four? Now granted there you're gonna see a lot more of them being in this base. Uh, but it's you're going to have so many sub packages where you're getting two pass rushers on the field. You're not going to have that big body bandit on the field in a lot of situations as your edge guy. You're going to have two outside line, but there's certain you know uh, offenses. You know, playing USF last year, uh, you know it was the same offense that Tennessee ran the year before. Alabama went primarily nickel rabbits. They had two you know edge outside linebackers on the field for almost every snap there's going to be games where that's still the case you don't want to have that heavier end out there because it doesn't do much for you against the style of offense that you're going to be going against so keon keely still could end up having a major role pierre could end up having a major role so i I don't want people freaking out but it is it's going to look a little different as far as the official depth chart and when they are in base the responsibilities of some of these guys and all that stuff it's going to look a little different yeah that's what i was going to ask you i mean in in terms of Again, we won't know until we know, but it seems to me that that bandit position, which is what amounts to strong side defensive end, I guess, uh, that bandit position seems to be going to be primarily manned by a what we've been calling a defensive lineman. You know, Boyd B. last year, maybe this year, LT Overton, maybe maybe James Smith, even maybe you know Jordan Renaud, uh, but. It, it it seems to me on like third and ten or, or third and long that maybe that that bandit subs out with another guy like like there's a heavy bandit or they kick like, inside maybe it would be, 
maybe the best way to describe it is kind of just like last year. You know, you could call a Boydby the heavy bandit, and then it's third and 12, and Boydby's moved inside because the outside guys are now Dallas Turner and Will Anderson. So it's kind of like we got a heavy bandit and a light bandit. Um, that, that's sort of what I'm anticipating, but that's just Jimmy guessing. I, I don't know. I, I'm so curious to see, uh, and I guess A-Day will, will be to some extent our first real look at it. Uh, but, boy, I think me and you, uh, everybody tune back in. Me and you are going to look at that A-Day tape like it's the Zapruder film. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it, it's like you, you see this all the time. Um, the Houston Texans were a 3-4 defense. They drafted Jadavian Clowney. And everybody's like, whoa, he's kind of a, you, you want his hand in the dirt. Uh, he's not really a stand-up guy too much. I mean, he obviously he did some of that at, at South Carolina. But just, you know, dropping back in the coverage, the way he's built, he's just, he needs to be a 4-3 defensive end. And he's going to a 3-4 defense. And it's like, why would you spend the number one overall pick on a guy like that? If that's if he doesn't fit you schematically, he's a, He's a damn good football player. I mean, and and really, you adjust things and you let him be play that role, uh, you know. And it's not the biggest deal uh, in in the world. So, you know, don't freak out about Keon Keeley. Uh, you know, don't freak out about Yonze Pierre or really any of these other guys. I mean, Noah Carter. Um, was watching some of him and just uh, I think he's gonna see a jump. Maybe I'm wrong, but. In the latest on 300 rankings that's coming out on Monday, uh, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, you need to keep an eye on that. I think a couple of guys could end up making some leaps, but I could see him making a little bit of a leap. I think uh, on three has him at number 132 overall. The uh, industry rankings have him at 127. Um, you know, I think he's a top 100 player. I just think from you know, as far as the ceiling is concerned, six four two twenty. Uh, he dominated the All American bowl practices uh you know he's got that bend he's got that burst excellent in pursuit um you know uh i think charles power compared him to yonze pierre if i'm not mistaken and i actually like the comp because of their explosiveness and, and twitch and bend off the edge i think it's quite similar um that just at this point in the process adding a guy like that i mean it's it's fortunate because you know, I kind of view edge and corner in some ways, you know, similarly, where it's like whether you're talking about redshirt freshman with the big three uh, from the three five stars, whether you're talking about Noah Carter, whether you're, whether you're talking about Jay Sean Ross, the, a lot of upside and talent and pass rushing potential. But the guys at the top, you know, it, it's, it's, you got a little bit of experience there. Um, you know, obviously Robinson and Cope, both those two returning, that's different. The only returning corner is Jaleel Hurley, who is going to be a redshirt freshman, didn't play any his first year. So it is different. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but it's like you look at it and you're like, if you look at the top of the depth chart where it's at currently, you're like, Ey. I mean, it, it, you just because there's a lot of uncertainty and unknown. But then when you start looking at the young talent, it's like, man, if they can get development from a couple of these guys, it could end up being really, really good. Expect growing pains. Expect some freshman or, or redshirt freshman mistakes. But the upside of those two spots, um, I think it's in really good shape when you talk about beyond 2024, but maybe in 2024 as well. Yeah, I, I feel like, again, a, a toy box, great way to describe it. Uh, Kane Womack is coming from south. Now, I realize he, he's not playing a Sunbelt schedule. 
at, at, at Alabama. You need the talent that he's going to find at Alabama to survive uh, an SEC schedule. But uh, I'm real curious to see how he makes all the pieces fit and the versatility. It's not just that, hey, this is the base defense, the base defense, what the, the Bandit and the Wolf and the Husky and, 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 and Rover, and this is the base defense. But, hey, you're not lining up the same way on third and 12 that you are on first and 10 or second and three. I mean, there's going to be some versatility to this. And uh, we're used to looking at the same thing for 17 years. Under Nick never changed under 17 years. There were nuances. Some things changed, but they were subtle changes. Uh, this will be more of a dramatic difference. And uh, I'm just real curious to see how it works out. I just know that Kane Womack's going to be thrilled with, uh, with the toy box and what he finds and the versatility that these amazing athletes have. Uh, in terms of playing multiple spots, uh, that's that's what I'm I'm real curious. Where are all the pieces going to fit, and then and then how they use them? But uh, I love the staff. I love uh, you know Freddie Roach has done such a great job of of recruiting and then developing what he's got. I mean, there's basically one or two pro football players a year coming out of that Alabama defensive line. That's going to continue. Kane Womack coaches linebackers. Certainly created a national reputation for himself as a linebacker coach and as a defensive coordinator. And then, of course, Mo Linguist even has an NFL background, a corner, and uh, Colin Hitchler. Uh, I talked to one national media guy that knows uh, the coaching landscape extremely well. He thinks Colin Hitchler might be the star of the staff. He he, he is uh, is very excited about what Colin Hitchler is going to bring to the table as Alabama safeties coach. So great staff, great coordinator. And uh, a lot of pieces already in place. Uh, I, I think it could be a, a good defense just right off the bat. Yeah, and it, it's like I said. I think I was talking to Travis and, and Tim about this uh, a few days ago. You hired Kalen DeBoer because of the offense that he brings to the table. It's it, it's it's his leadership abilities and the fact that he can and lead men and people buy into him. So it's not just the offense. But my point is is. That's what you're buying. So it wasn't shocking that Alabama went and added a really, really good offensive staff that's majority made up of Washington coaches. Like you're you're just like, hey, bring, bring it, bring it, bring it all. Bring it, bring your quarterback, bring everybody, bring your center, bring your and everybody's like, oh, you know, they're packed to they're now the uh, Pac 12 team. Now, I mean, first of all, I don't know what real people really expected. It's like everybody's like, "Oh, they're they're only adding Washington players." Like, who else do you want them to go get right now? Washington's like the only other team going through this, so it's. I mean, I don't know what you really expected, and there's just it, it makes for an easier transition. But they also add. I mean, the the, the, the team just played in the national championship and, and beat Texas. The, they beat the week, Texas, which Alabama failed to do. Uh, that just that whole argument. Everybody likes to take jabs and and, and stuff. And I was like, I. But that's what you wanted. You wanted that on that side of the football. But I think that they complemented that extremely well with the defensive staff. You've got a little bit more, maybe not SEC familiarity necessarily, even though you've got some guys who do have some SEC experience. But you got guys who have ties to the area, and they're familiar with it, and they won't be out of their – the fact that they're considered very, very good coaches, the fact that you go get a head coach to be your defensive coordinator, you, you go get another head coach to be your co-DC, you know, it's like – it's it, it, it's I, I like the makeup of it. You go and you get the guys who might not be super familiar with recruiting in the SEC and the landscape of that and all that, to you know, build this dynamic offense. You've already got talent in the room, so it's it's. And then when kids see Alabama having a ton of success, 
I don't think it's going to be much of a problem. I think the recruiting and the relationships, I think they're going to be there and they'll get established if they can trust. Hey, if I'm an offensive guy, I can go play for this school and I'll have a ton of success. I think that played a, at least somewhat of a role in, in Ron Williams uh, recommitting, even though I think you just felt at home at Alabama and it, you know, I think that was the biggest driving factor. But, um, you know, defensively, it's it's more familiar with the area. It's X's and O's. Uh, it's, you know, understanding, you know, there's a relationship between DeBoer and, and, and Womack already established. And so it, the way that they're going to play offensively, Womack is going to understand exactly what that means and, and how to complement that. And I think that's big. So I just I like the the overall makeup of the staff and how you know it, it can play into each other. And the fact that you kept Freddie Roach, the fact that you kept uh Robert Gillespie, uh, you know, the running backs coach, the fact that you I mean, just to me, it I, I think it's a very good complimentary staff. And from an actual X's and O's perspective and coaching and development it's a home run staff well i think when you have a head coach that is known for one side of the ball and that's where his expertise is i think that coach develops a comfort level if he what amounts to hires a head coach of the defense so nick saban often had big name coordinators not all the time but he often had big name offensive coordinators because nick saban was so hands-on with the defense he needed an offensive guy he could trust that could kind of run the whole show on offense with little with little input from him because that's not his expertise. Well, now we got the opposite situation where DeBoer is an offensive guy, and you can tell with his hire. He went and hired someone he trusted to what amounts to be the head coach of the defense. Kane Womack was head coach of a whole football program a year ago. Now he's head coach of the Alabama defense, and DeBoer can spend his time and efforts on the side of the ball where he has X's and O's expertise, and that's the offensive side of the ball. So I love the hire. Uh, I love all the assistant hires, uh, even Dave uh, Batu, who's, who, uh, Bartu, who's a, a national expert when it comes to grading coaching hires. He raves. He's not an Alabama guy, but he raves about this, this staff that DeBoer has hired. It's an all-star staff of the best of DeBoer's staff at Washington with two excellent holdovers from the Saban staff and then the three outsiders, Womack, Linguist, and Hitchler, all-stars, all-stars. So uh, great staff, great head coach, and uh, I'm glad me and you get to talk about it for the next few months. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, just what you were saying earlier, toolbox, you know, new toys to play with, can do different things. You know, South Alabama ran a lot of cover three, and more out of based off personnel and just out of necessity. Uh, you know, I think they'll be able to, be a lot more flexible in what they do with that. Um, the way that the defense is set up and the way that it attacks you on the the perimeter, um, it, it, it's tough to run zone against this defense. It really is. And a lot of teams like to run a lot of zone. Uh, so it just, it, it's, I think fans are going to have fun watching it. You know, it, it's, they don't call it swarm defense for nothing. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a reason they, you're swarming to the football. It's aggressive. It's fun. You get some different looks. Uh, you know, I think from a fit perspective, it's just a matter of figuring out where guys are going to go. But once that gets settled and you start getting an idea, I think fans are really going to like this defense. Obviously, the, the offense is going to be a lot of fun. 
and and we're gonna have a ton of fun covering it and breaking it down and there was just there was so much content that i had planned you know i was planning to do an end of season snap count observation uh which i still might do you know you get this far away from it and it's like would people really be interested in that you got a new head coach what does the snap counts really mean at this point so many guys are gone you know, I was going to, and I'm still doing this. It might not be as fun as it would have been roasting ourselves uh, directly after the season, but what we got right and what we got wrong, uh, that's was, you know, something that we had planned to do pretty early. Uh, but then this whole Saban thing, just retiring and just giving him his credit. And Alabama's got to find a head coach for the first time in close to 20 years. You know, it was the uncertainty, the, the anxiety that it created within the fan base. Uh, we obviously you got to shift the attention. Um, but, What's so much fun about this now is that it's so fascinating to watch how this transition might happen. And it's the, you know, this past season, and I said it, it it was more fun because it was uncertain. I'm not saying if fans could get, you know, Nick Saban at 60 years old back tomorrow, uh, everybody would take it. I mean, they would. Um, But it, it does reach a point where, there's no excitement. You know, you go in every week and you expect to win. So when you win, it's like, okay, good. Check that box. You know, it, it, it's, oh, Alabama added a five-star number one quarterback in the country. Cool. Got 12 of those. You know, uh, it, it, immediately. I mean, Ron Williams, great player, uh, phenomenal player. I think he's going to be a dynamite in Caitlin DeBoer's offense. But when Alabama gets him under Nick Saban, there's excitement. But the fact that Kalen DeBoer was able to get this victory and secure this caliber of player, it's more exciting. So, you know, give Nick Saban a ton of credit. And, and it was such a fun ride the last 17 years. But I also think it's different. And I think different can sometimes be a good thing in its own way as well. And I'm looking forward, I mean, We've already been blessed to get to cover the greatest to ever do it. And and now we get a chance to watch someone else try to come in and follow that up and, you know, re- rebuild it in, in some ways. I don't think it's necessarily rebuilding, but um, building it in their own image uh, and just how that'll look and and everything. It's it's going to be fun. I, I really do believe it. Uh, Jimmy, do you have anything else before we hop out of here? Nope, just looking forward to uh, maybe next on the next show next week. Maybe we can get a little bit more into personnel and who's coming back because there's been so much coverage about who left. Uh, I think we need a whole show uh, next week about who's coming back because uh, there's a lot of uh, promising players. I'm doing my uh, ranking the roster, uh, you know, uh, a series already on the board, and, and we're, we're just starting it. So we're talking about a lot of guys right now who redshirted a year ago. Uh, but, heck, I, I just got – three or four guys into the ranking. And I'm already like, hey, this is a guy, this is a pretty good football player that we might even see this fall. Uh, There's still a lot of of exciting talents on this roster, and we'll cover it for you next week. Yeah, and and that's going to be fun. It's offense, it's defense. I mean, getting a guy like Parker Brailsford and just what that does for your offensive line. You know, you got pretty much – you got your interior, for the most part, locked up unless you plan on moving Tyler Booker out to tackle. Uh, that's, that's, that's good. And then it's a, a matter of establishing your tackles and just, we'll talk more about that next week and what he means and what, you know, Damani Jackson and Austin Mack and, you know, all of these different guys, uh, you know, I was really hoping Jeremy Bernard, we could get to him and talk about him and talk about Ryan Williams and just this re- wide receiver room. Cause I am 
super excited about it. Uh, how do you lose Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond and Amari Black, uh, you know, Nye Black and, and all these different guys, pass catchers, and I walk away thinking, I think they could be better. Um, it's exciting. Yeah, it, it is. So we're, we're going to be covering all that stuff. It should be fun. If you haven't already, go subscribe to them online. Um, we, ton of content. I mean, just from a recruiting standpoint, Charlie's got everything covered from a beat perspective. Uh, the guy's a machine, and I get, give that guy a ton of credit because, I'm, first of all, he's always been a machine. Uh, but you got you know the, the college football playoffs going out you know west to cover that. You got transfer portal stuff going on. You finally start seeing a little bit of a slowdown. It's like okay, basketball, you know, more reflective on the season type stuff. And then Nick Saban retires, and and I'm going on a bachelor trip. You know, I'm out of commish, and this kid. It, this guy, I mean, just I can't give him enough credit because uh, no one else can do it in this business better than Charlie Potter. Uh, and and so you get that side of things. You get the Andrew Bone and Tim uh, Tim Watts and Joseph Hastings, all the recruiting nuggets. You're getting, you know, you're the roster series that you're doing right now at this point in the year phenomenal team coverage content where it gives you an idea of, of guys and, and what happened and where they stand. If you haven't go subscribe to Bama online. Now is the time to do it. I'm telling you, it's only going to get more fun from here. I understand there was some uncertainty and I'll, you know, a lot of people are going to join up and become part of the community because they don't know what's coming next. But uh, at this point, it's all, I mean, we, we do breakdowns as far as the defense and, it, it, it it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you haven't already like this video, subscribe to the BIM online YouTube channel, because obviously tons of content's coming over here. Uh, that's not slowing down anytime soon. And, you know, so you get it from all angles. Uh, we appreciate everybody who listens this, you know, Jimmy and I hadn't done this in a while. This has been fun. We went long, not surprised. We'll go long on the next one too. Uh, get your bootstraps ready because um, yeah, I, I that's just that's how it's going to be this off season. Uh, we'll, we'll ramble, but Jimmy, I also appreciate you. Uh, this is we've been doing this for for uh, I guess coming up on a Four few years. years now. Yeah, Four and years. it's been a hell of a ride, and, and I can't wait to see it continue and see where things go from here. So I appreciate you too, buddy. Oh yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to jump into the personnel. It's my favorite part of the doing this show, and uh, just my favorite part is discussing the players on the team. And uh, and getting everybody excited about the spring and the fall, yeah. Uh, and uh, it it's going to be a very fun spring, especially if we can get more a little more access to practice. Uh, you know, we'll see, but it, it's going to be fun regardless. All right, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon.